That's beautiful. Thank you very much. We are in the book of Isaiah today, chapter 56. If you'd like to turn back to that passage that Art read for us. Uh, Isaiah 56. We'll get there eventually. Uh, We closed last week with a challenge to keep track of your laughter for a few days. Uh, So I wonder if anyone noticed how much they have or have not laughed this past week, just the last few days. And was it enough? Did you you notice? Did you notice it all? Um, I realize there's things that we go through, even this past week, that, uh, you know, we people have gone through plenty of things that can make finding humor and laughter challenging. Uh, Lyle Van Horn's unexpected passing comes to mind, of course. But, you know, at the same time, uh, there, was, there was much, much laughter at the gatherings for Lyle yesterday. Uh, through all the conversation in the visitation time, just tons of laughter, as there should be at Christian funerals. You know, there should be. In fact, some of the funniest people with, with the best senses of humor I know are funeral directors. Uh, they are. All, all of them that I know well are, are Christians. And, and because of what they do for a living, they tend to have just very realistic perspectives when it comes to life and death and Jesus and eternity. And it allows them to have a tremendous sense of humor. Frank Dawson of the Dawson Funeral Home in my hometown, he was hands down the most popular speaker, storyteller in our whole area growing up. All the clubs wanted him to come and speak and talk. He was so funny. He had so many funny stories. Every time he would greet people, I've told some of you this, he would shake their hand and he'd ask them so sincerely, how are you feeling? And, and as he did that, yeah, as he was shaking their hand, he put two fingers on the inside of their wrist like he was checking their pulse, you know. <laughs> Always thinking about business. Uh, Funerals of the non-Christian world are so somber and they are so sad, but there's almost always laughter at Christian funerals. And that is precisely because when you know how the story ends, when your eternity is sorted out, there can be great joy and great happiness and great laughter even in the midst of great grief. It's not that the grief isn't there. Is that there's laughter in the midst of it. That is one immensely important thing that God does in the lives of those who love and serve him. Even in the toughest of circumstances, he induces celebration. He brings it forth. Isaiah is not often thought of particularly as a laughing prophet. Uh, much of what he wrote about talks about the hardships of captivity and the displeasure of God with his people, Israel. Eventually, though, Isaiah does come to write about Israel's return to her native land. But even then, much of the time is is given to the political and the spiritual corruption that was involved there. It's really only in the last few chapters of his writings that Isaiah describes God's rescue of the Hebrew people and uh, the nation's eventual glory. And then he expands on that into the glory of the world, what God is going to do. So while it's certainly true that threads of redemption and hope run all through Isaiah, you can't miss them. 
There's not a ton, especially in the early parts, that would warrant any explosion of joy, you know. But there is here in uh, chapter 56, and especially so if you happen to be what might be called an outcast. There is an explosion of joy here for you if you are an outcast. Now, you might say, well, the whole nation of Israel would have been considered an outcast for most of her existence. And that is certainly true. Uh, All through her history, it's clear that the world around Israel did not know what to do with a nation that was unique as Israel was unique and exclusively possessing of the truth of God. The world didn't know what to do with that. So since the world didn't know what to do with Israel, the world beat Israel up over and over again. Just like the world, centuries later, would beat up Jesus. And the fact is, our world still does not know what to do with people who possess God's truth. No matter how truly kind and loving and compassionate, no matter how truly concerned Christ followers are, those that surround more and more, it seems, in our society, just will not tolerate our claim that Jesus is the only way. So in that way, Christ followers do know something of Israel's status as an outcast. Our own culture here in the United States is forcing us to learn that in these days. More and more, it seems. We are strangers in our own land. And that should remind us that this land is not our true home. Keep that in mind. So Israel herself was an outcast. But you know, even within the nation of Israel, there were outcasts. In the preservation of their spiritual identity, not so much their national identity, but their spiritual identity, in order to preserve it as God's covenant people, there were persons who were marginalized from the greater group to one degree or another. There were outcasts in Israel. Do you know what it's like to be an outcast? Even apart from that due to faith, most of us do. Most of us have felt the sting of rejection In one form or another. At one time or another, most of us have been the only one who thinks a certain way, or the only one of our race, or the only one of our gender, or the only one of our background, or the only one of our ability or lack of ability in the room. At one time or another, I would think all of us have felt that. And whether intentionally or not, we were made to feel as an outcast. Like the guy, you know, did you hear about the guy whose whole left side got, got cut off? Yeah, he's all right now. But. <laughs> or about the skeleton that didn't get to go to the dance? He wanted to go to the dance, but you know why he didn't go? He, he had nobody to go with to the dance. Those are outcasts. <laughs> Somebody different than everybody else. Those are outcasts. Do you know what it's like to be an outcast? Have you felt that way? Within Israel, there were at least two sorts of people who would have been considered outcasts. The first were foreigners, people other than Jews. Now, understand that that the Jews treated foreigners that lived within their bounds far better than really any other people of their day did. 
God demanded that his people be remarkably hospitable and concerned with the welfare of those who were in, but not of their nation. But still, there were differences, especially when it came to worship. There were differences. You see, to the Jew, there were really only two races in the whole world, two races. There were Jews and there were non-Jews. You were either a Jew or you were a Gentile. And a Gentile, a non-Jew, could not just wander into the temple like a seeker might wander into a church service today. You know, the idea of seeker-sensitive temple worship was just not part of Jewish thinking. Now, Gentiles could convert, of course. You could convert, but conversion to Judaism meant full conversion, requiring for males circumcision, which (laughs) you could be pretty sure that if a person agrees to that, they're serious about their faith, you know? Uh, I wonder how many conversions to Christ there would be if that was part of the sinner's prayer today. Really? Okay, wait, I have to do what? (laughs) What now? That separates the true believers from the wannabes, which is at least part of God's rationale behind circumcision. There's a lot more to it than that. But that was part of it. The point is, there was just no dabbling with the relationship with the God of Israel. You just didn't come and go as you pleased. You just didn't sneak in and sneak out. You might be part of the neighborhood as a foreigner. You might live within the national boundaries. But regarding the practice of the faith, you were either out or you were totally in. And if you were out as a foreigner, you were out of the worship ritual anyway. So foreigners were the first sort of outcast. The second sort was the eunuch. According to Mosaic law, a eunuch could not participate in the assembly of the Lord. Now, a eunuch is, of course, a man with either damaged or removed private parts. And there are different reasons that that could happen to a person. You know, it could be that a person was born that way or the result of an accident of of some kind. Now, in those days, though, in in other cultures, not in Judaism, but in other cultures, it, it was a punishment for a crime. You could be punished that way. Uh, other times it was done for some pagan religious practice. Uh, there's also instances where it was required to enter certain places of government service. Uh, in nearly all cases, like in that second group, though, it would be a Gentile uh, who, who was the subject of it. Jews did not work that way. So we wonder why such a law might have existed Uh, Well, based on other evidence, we can conclude at least three things as to why God set this law forward. First, because the human body is holy to the Lord. We kind of lost that. But the human body is precious and is holy to the Lord. He made it and he likes what he made. And he does not take kindly to our mutilation of it, which is something our culture would do well to remember today. Uh, Second, God is concerned about human reproduction. He wants people to be concerned as well with human reproduction. And then third, since circumcision was a huge deal in following God as a Jew, you can see how a eunuch could have trouble with that, you know. Uh, So we're not told if the reason behind a person's eunuchness (laughs) mattered. So we presume it didn't matter. Since all Deuteronomy tells us is that a eunuch could not enter into temple worship. So that's, that's the rule. 
I can't help but wonder, I have to wonder, how they knew if a guy was a eunuch or not as he walked into worship. I mean, really, did they just depend on the person's honesty to declare it? Or or was there an usher who had to check, (laughs) you know, somewhere? You ushers think you have it rough. How would you like that job? That was the case either way. So, So eunuchs were a second sort of outcast within Israel. Now that informs, and I think it deepens tremendously, the account that we read of the apostle Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch that we find in Acts chapter 8. If you want, you can turn there real quick. We'll be there for just a minute, but keep your finger in Isaiah 56. Uh, We're told of this man in Acts 8, this high-ranking foreign official, And he's identified as a eunuch, very likely because his position demanded it. That's the way things worked back then. If a man was working closely with a royal woman, in this case, Queen Candace, we're told, of Ethiopia. If a man was working in close proximity to a woman of royalty, it would not be unusual, terribly, for such a procedure to be required. It made certain insurances possible. Uh, So anyway, here was a man clearly interested in the God of the Hebrews. In fact, he'd just been to Jerusalem to worship, verse 27 tells us. But, of course, he was not allowed into the assembly, not only because he was a foreigner, but even more so because of his physical condition. So marginalized, you see, an outcast. Even this big, important guy, from another nation, wanting to come in, but unable to do so. You see, marginalization doesn't depend really at all on class or wealth or color or gender or or all the other things that we hear about today that, that are the causes of it. They're not the causes of it. Anyone in the right circumstance can be an outcast. Anyone. Like this guy was. This guy was also like a lot of people today in another way. He was reading a passage from the Bible and he didn't understand it. You know, his King James Version didn't make any sense to him either. Like it didn't make any sense to me when I was a little kid trying to understand it. And ironically, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So keep that in mind. Okay, more on that later. So this guy's riding along in his chariot. Philip, led of the Lord approaches him, and in this divine encounter, he is able to lead this guy to faith in Jesus. And then, and here's where it really gets interesting to me, look at how the fellow responds. He believes in Jesus, he does, and the, in the explanation and the exposition that Philip offers him, and then he looks out his chariot window and he sees a body of water nearby, and the fellow says, literally, he says, what prevents me from being baptized? All this Judaism that I've been following at a distance, if it all comes to fruition in Jesus, Is there anything now that prevents me from fully exercising my faith? You see, this guy, he knew all about barriers. He knew all about being kept away 
from expression of faith at its fullness. He just experienced that in Jerusalem. And I, I, I tend to think he knew he was going to experience that, but he wanted to go anyway. But he just experienced it. He knew his nationality and he knew his condition kept him from full temple worship. But what about from Jesus? Would Jesus take him as he was? That's what he wanted to know. That's what he asked Philip. And Philip had this beautiful ability to answer, friend, if you will give yourself wholly to Jesus, then nothing prevents you, nothing keeps you from full relationship with him. (laughs) Nothing prevents you. Not your nationality, not your physical situation, nothing that has happened to you in days past. That's all behind you. If you will follow Jesus from this day forward with all your heart. And the fellow said, yeah, I'll do that. And so Philip baptized him there in the water, confirming his faith. And then Philip, Acts 8 says, was carried away By the Spirit. We're not sure exactly what that means. And the Ethiopian fellow, verse 39 there says, went on his way rejoicing. You see, he was glad. He was happy. He was celebrating. And and don't even try to tell me he wasn't smiling and laughing. Because the barriers that for so long had kept him out of the most important thing in his life had been removed. He'd been lifted. Now he was welcome. Now he was included. Where he was once out, now he's in. Is there any better feeling than that? To have spent your life on the edge because of something you couldn't do anything about. But then suddenly something changes and now you're welcomed in. You're a part. You're included. You're embraced and wanted and treasured and valued. You see, that's what Jesus does for people. That's why he ate with tax collectors and sinners. And that's why they love being around him. Just by who he is, Jesus induces celebration. Now, please understand this. Um... This is not just a a free-for-all that I'm talking about. You know, no one just comes to Jesus. No one just comes in on their own terms. We have to agree to follow Jesus, which means we have to agree to do what he says and to live how he says to live, to do nothing less, actually, than to die to self. That's what it means, to follow Jesus. And we have to agree to do that, but... For anyone who will seriously do that, who will embrace Jesus like that, then for them, the barriers to God all come down. And we are in where we have never been able to be in before. We are in. That's what this Ethiopian eunuch discovered. And and amazingly, it was Isaiah who foretold all this, you see. That's why it's so ironic. That the Ethiopian fellow was reading him there in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah 53 that predicts this suffering and uh, struggle of the Messiah. But if he had read just a little bit further, he'd have reached this passage in chapter 56. Where Isaiah says in verse 3, don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord 
say, the Lord will never let me be a part of his people. And don't let the eunuch say, I'm a dried up tree with no children and no future. You see, this guy was both of these. Isaiah says, though at present, when he was writing, that's how it is. But in the new covenant to come, God says, verse 4 there, I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days and who choose to do what pleases me and who commit their lives to me, who are serious about God. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name. I will give them access. I will let them in. At the same time, the Lord says it all goes to for those from foreign lands. All those who will, again, take me seriously, who will commit their way to me, all who will do what pleases me. God says, I'll bring them in. I'll bring them all in. Verse 7 says, and I will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. You see, where there was once that sadness that comes from not being included, of being marginalized, of being an outcast. In Jesus, now there is inclusion and welcome. And so there is joy and laughter and celebration because Jesus' death and resurrection has covered all that separates us from God. All that keeps us away from him, all the sin and all its effects, Jesus covers, Jesus redeems, if only we will follow him. If only we'll, verse 3 there says, commit ourselves to the Lord. If we'll give ourselves to Jesus and live for him and be obedient to him, then we are no longer outcasts. Instead, we are free. We are free to enjoy relationship with God, both now and And for all eternity. And that means that no matter what sort of outcast this world might make us to be here today, no matter what label this world tries to attach to us with God in his economy, we are welcome and we are valued and we are a part. And so we are free to engage and celebrate and laugh and love all in the deep joy of the Lord. So no more margins, you know, no more sideways glances, no more condescending stares from others, no more looking in from the outside. With Jesus, we are in, and we are in forever. And friends, that is reason to celebrate. That is reason to celebrate. Listen, no matter what label this world has tried to slap on you, No matter how you have been pushed to the side, if you will commit yourself to Jesus, he will welcome you in. He will welcome you into the only place, the only relationship that really, truly matters. He will welcome you. Father, would you confirm the truth of this in every heart here today? who knows and who follows your son Jesus. That regardless of past, regardless of circumstance, regardless of what our broken world may say about us, would you assure us that we are yours and so we are included, we are accepted, and we are welcomed into all that is yours. And Lord, even as the world curses us because of you, Father, would you help us 
to laugh, not at them, but with the confidence that we belong to you for now and forever, which is all that really matters. And Father, if there is one here today who does not know you, who is drawn to you, who is interested in you, but who is still on the outside looking in, would you let them know that would they but repent and believe and follow you, they are welcome, welcome, welcome into your house and into your kingdom. May it be so, Lord. May we live with a joy that we are part of you, that we are no more on the outside looking in. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.